You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. We're going to love this first section of the title of this message is Four Weddings and a Resurrection. Four Weddings and a Resurrection. I couldn't add funerals in there because at East Campus, we've had no funerals. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Even through a global pandemic, the deadliest thing the world has ever seen since the common cold. No funerals. One of the most important things in marriage, and I I think most people would argue, probably especially the ladies, the most important thing in a marriage is communication. And so uh, this first section that I'm going to talk about um, uh, was actually from the first wedding that Lisa and I did together and this couple was, they were movie buffs, they loved movies, and especially 80s movies. So this first section is 80s movie marriage advice. 80s movie, anybody like 80s movies in here? Come on, who are my 80s movies fan? So uh, in the area of communication, uh, as I said, it's, it's probably one of the most important things. And I, um, I struggled early on in communication. And Lisa would tell you that when we first met, I, I said next to nothing. <laughs> when we would uh, go out on dates or with friends, and there's, um, you know, even one instance where she remembers, like, we went out to, to sushi with some friends, and the uh, first time I'd met them, and afterwards, she looks at me, and she's like, you didn't say a word. I'm like, that's not true. I'm pretty sure I said my name at one point at the beginning. So I struggled to communicate early on, but my philosophy was, you know, if I have something important to say, I'll say it. Or if somebody asks me a question, I'll respond. That was my idea of communication. But uh, look at me now. After 12 years, almost a marriage, this beautiful woman, she can't get me to stop talking. No, what she usually says to me is, you need to get to the point already. Like, you're taking too long. Just hurry it up. Efficiency, efficiency. See, it's your own fault. You taught me this way. You trained me up. The point is, men and women communicate differently. So um, in, this first, in this first marriage that we officiated, uh, I pulled out some highlights from, from some 80s movies, and I wanted to share some of those with you today. The first one is from a movie we all know and love, and I have an audio clip, if we can play that, to, uh, to help things out. So you can go and spin that whenever you got it. Come on, who loves the Ghostbusters? Great movie. When there's something strange in the neighborhood, when a man and a woman come together, dating, doesn't matter when, in marriage, one of the first things that you have to do is learn to understand each other. Now, it may seem obvious that if you both speak English or you both speak the same language, that you would understand what the other person is saying. But any married person will tell you that's just simply not true. Because even though you might speak the same natural language, there's, there's things hidden in the language, hidden in the words, that you have to learn to decipher. And when two people come together from different backgrounds, different walks of life, they do bring baggage along with them. 
Well, it doesn't matter how pristine, how good your life was, there's always some things that, that are hidden away. Sometimes some, some unwelcome friends have attached themselves to you. And uh, when you're learning how to communicate, you're learning how to talk together, sometimes you need some help deciphering what the other person is saying, thinking, doing, or just being. It's weird. So you got to know who to call. You got to have somebody, some friends, some family on your speed dial who you know when you pick up the phone, you know they're going to give you some good advice. You've seen the fruit in their marriage. You know that it's not somebody who's been divorced five times and is not married right now. You know, and they're going to echo your complaint. They're going to echo the, the lack of understanding. They're like, yep, that's just the way men are. Or that's just the way women are. You have to get used to it. No, you need some people who you can call who are going to help you, who are going to show you a good path, a good way. The next 80s movie, Mary Advice, I want to bring is from a friendly little robot called Johnny Five. Anybody seen Short Circuit? Come on. If you've seen Short Circuit, what is the thing that Johnny Five loves the most? Anybody? What does he always say he needs more of? Input. input. That's right. Need more input. It's very hard to over-communicate. So like Johnny Five, we constantly need to be seeking more input. If you, if you don't understand something, then talk it out. Work it out. Don't just walk away all, every time, all the time at the first sign of resistance that you do need to be able to communicate. You need to be able to understand each other. And a lot of times what that means is that you need more input from your spouse or from the person that you're in a relationship. What, what do you mean by that? I don't understand. It's okay to say that I don't understand. It's okay to say. Now, if they've told you five or six times, then maybe you need to like me, be more efficient in getting to the solution faster, but you have to remember that it's okay to ask for more input. It's okay to ask for more advice or explanation to learn from each other as much as possible. So, uh, so many relationships have been lost because of the lack of input, because of the lack of communication. So never assume the worst, always assume the best and give each other the benefit of the doubt and a chance to explain their side. Thanks, Johnny Five. So there's sometimes uh, when communication can get heated, when you can, uh, you're in a relationship and you're communicating back and forth, but uh, it, it goes past that place of just like niceties and, and uh, talking and, and finding each other out, and you actually come to an obstacle. You come to something difficult, and, and uh, we by nature will tend to, it's either fight or flight, right? You know, we'll either, we'll either raise up and want to defend our position or we'll just, we'll just run away. And so, uh, to borrow from another 80s robot, the Terminator, when you've hit that boiling point, it's okay to step away for a second. It's okay. But always say, come with, I'll be back. I was going to say, come with me if you want to live, but I'll be back is better. <laughs> a couple of times in our marriage, not too many, just, just maybe two or three, I've had to give myself a timeout. I've had to, to walk away from a heated discussion. I've had to take a step back and realize that Anything that comes out of my mouth right now is probably not going to help our marriage. It's probably going to take us the other way. So there's times when we need to take a break, give ourselves a timeout, understand that we're in a place, a headspace, a heart space, whatever, where we're not, we don't have the best interest of our spouse at heart right in that moment or the best interest of the marriage or relationship, that we need to step back. And every time I've done that, when I've turned to God, when I've, when I've taken myself out of that heated place where I know that I'm going to say something that I'm going to regret, I step back and I ask God, okay, what should I say? 
And never, not once, has he told me, yeah, go ahead and say that thing that you were going to say. That was fine. Never, not once. He always, always gives me something different. Now, it's not always necessarily what my wife wanted to hear. It's not always um, what I was going to say. It's never what I was going to say. But it is something that will bring us to resolution. And so when you're in a heated place, one thing that I want you to consider, and maybe you can write this down or think about it, is what can I say that will bring us to resolution? Is there anything I can say right now that will help get us to, out, of this, out of this argument, out of this heated place, into a place of peace, into a place of understanding each other? Bet you never thought you'd hear marriage advice from the Terminator. Well, there you go. You heard it here first, East Campus. The next one we wanna, I want to look at is uh, as you're thinking about you know, where you go in the future, and, um, and as you work through those moments, uh, you must avoid the desire to bring up, bring up past mistakes. So I want to share something that Doc Brown shared in the movie Back to the Future. You've got to think fourth dimensionally. Fourth dimensionally. And uh, if you're not quite sure what that means, is that when you're in the present, you don't need to look at the past so much as you need to look at the future. Don't look at where you've been so much as where you're going. You have to look forward. You have to look at, like I said, what brings you to resolution? What brings you to the place where you're coming together? And speaking of the future, for those of you who are married and don't have kids yet, here's a quote from another great 80s movie, The Goonies. I feel like I'm babysitting, except I'm not getting paid. Welcome to parenting. <laughs> and my favorite movie from the 80s, perhaps one of the most quotable movies of all time, The Princess Bride. We're going to borrow, come on, who loves it? The Princess Bride, we're going to borrow these three little words, you all know what they are, as you wish. As you wish. As you wish means that if you love somebody, that you're going to serve them. You make it your heart to serve them. You make it your heart to do for them as they wish. Maybe not even as they would say. Maybe they won't even tell you sometimes what they're thinking, what they're wanting. But you, if you love them, then you do have to learn to speak their language. You do have to decipher, decipher what their wishes are, even if they're not always telling you. You have to learn to say as you wish. And watch this. If both of you are doing that, then everybody's needs are met. If both of you have a heart for as you wish, which means I, I want to serve you, I love you, then you're both uplifted. Can we give it up for the 80s movies? Come on. The next marriage advice that I want to talk about, or this next wedding that I'm going to pull from, is uh, called Seven Pillars of Marriage. Seven Pillars of Marriage. And uh, who's ready for some Bible? I thought, you know, we start off with uh, a little bit of lighthearted 80s movies, and then uh, this is a church service, so I had to remember to add some scriptures. So we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. And uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is, uh, is Proverbs 9, 1, and it says that wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. And I found in this passage of scripture, Ephesians 4, 2 to 3, there's actually seven pillars that really quickly I want to I touch on because I think that it'll help a lot of people. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. I love the start of this passage of Scripture, and, and the first pillar that I want to talk about is being humble, placing the relationship above being right. And this was a challenge for me um, because I like being right. And, uh, and in an argument or a discussion, I would always try and find a log logical way to make myself be right. And Lisa's nodding her head right now. 
And I think it's true for a lot of guys especially is that, that we have this default to fix a problem and we want to always come up with the right answer or the right solution. But what we forget, what we lose sight of a lot of times is that sometimes, well, all the time, the relationship is more important than being right. And sometimes that we need to sacrifice, we need to lay down being right for the sake of the relationship. Maybe, yes, maybe you could argue your way into that position of victory. Maybe you could uh, make a logical statement or, or figure out a way to make it sound like uh, if you brought the case before a jury, oh, yes, he is right or she is right. But the truth is, if you do that, you're probably going to alienate the other person. If you work so hard to be right, then what are you really doing? You're working so hard to prove that they're wrong. And is that something that you really want to build a marriage on? Is that a pillar you want to build a marriage on, always making the other person wrong? No, there is a way, there is a path where you're both right, where you both can come together, where you find the middle ground, but it takes humility to get there. The next one is gentleness, and this really means self-control. And again, I'm going to throw myself under the bus a little bit here. Um, when we were first married, uh, I don't know if it was the military training or what in my background, but whenever we would start a discussion, like somehow or some way, the tone of my voice would change a little bit. And I didn't think I was yelling, but she would always let me know, stop yelling. And I'm like, I'm not yelling. Well, now I'm yelling, but that's because you told me that I was yelling when I wasn't yelling because I wanted to be right. But we do need to be gentle in our marriage. We need to have self-control, not just in what we say, but our actions, our emotions, lady too. All the guys know that a look from a lady can kill one way or the other. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. So you have to be in control of your emotions. You have to think about uh, not just what you're saying, but how you're saying it and what are the emotions behind it. And I think this is so true with parenting as well that uh, when our kids are, are taking us to the nth degree and we just can't handle it anymore, that uh, you know, I know if I looked in a mirror, I would see this giant red face staring back at me. You know, And we default to, to yell and we default to when, when they aren't listening for the 10th, 11th, 12th time, it, something, something triggers us, and especially guys, that we need to, to get that under control because we have to remember that, that as a child looking up, learning, growing, developing, that, that what they're seeing is as much, in, as, as much importance as what they're hearing. So it's not just the words that you're saying, but it's how you're saying them. Next one, being patient. And uh, I think we could sum this up by not saying what you want to say when you want to say it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Remember, this is not a firefight. It's not who can expend all their ammunition the fastest wins. That, that you need to take time. You need to realize, be patient. And like I said, think about what you want to say. Is that bringing resolution? in the direction that you want to go. The next one, allowance. Because everybody knows ladies need a shopping budget. So gentlemen, remember that. Make allowance for each other's faults. Be open, honest, and vulnerable. Know them and love them with their faults. Lisa married me even in spite of all these faults that I'm talking about. And, um, and she knew that, that she could help me in those areas. And it wasn't about fixing me. And when you're in a relationship with someone, you should never start off with the idea, oh, I can fix that, or I can change that, or I can make that better. No, like through reciprocal love, which is the next point, the next pillar, that the person, as you love them, and as they feel loved, then they're going to want to change. They're going to want to please you. They're going to want to make you happy. And just like you're doing that for them. The next pillar, unity. You're stronger together. God has given you each unique characteristics that can only be fully developed when you're serving one another. And the last one, peace. True peace is not the absence of conflict, but the ability to remain calm in the middle of a storm. And friendly advice, if you're married and don't have kids yet, practice this one a lot. 
before you have kids because that's going to be the true test. So these are building blocks of a phenomenal marriage, and I think anybody who's married here today would agree. But uh, what I want to encourage you today is in these seven pillars, and there's many other things that make up a great marriage, but these are specifically what God showed me in this just one passage of Scripture. So I encourage you to, to crack this open and find more. Find what you want to build your relationship, your marriage on. These are going to be the strength that will keep you upright. Because the, the truth is, the fact of the matter, is that any structure can have stability if there's at least three pillars. If there's at least three legs to stand on, you can have two. You, you can have strength. Now, if you, if you lose one of those, if you only have three, you lose one, you go down to two, then there's neutral stability. Like just a little bit of breeze one way or the other can knock you over. And if you only have one leg to stand on, God help you. Like you need to do something fast because there's uh, so much instability. So all of these pillars that I've talked about, all of these things that you can build a marriage on, don't beat yourself up if you're not there yet, especially if you're just starting out. Find what's most important to you. Talk to each other. Determine, okay, what are the things that we want to stand on? What are the things that are most important to build on? Start with three and work your way up. Because as you go through life, there will be things that get knocked down. Sometimes the peace is out the window. Sometimes there's craziness happening. Whatever it is that comes into your life and, and uh, brings the trouble, brings the trials, it might create a bit of a shaky situation from time to time. But if you have four, five, six, seven pillars to stand on, you know that the marriage is secure. You know that the relationship is not going anywhere, that you have all of these other things that are supporting you, that are helping you. And I, I think that... Uh, uh, the movie Inside Out does a great job at highlighting a lot of these emotions and what happens if you let your emotions take control. So it's a good uh, family movie time. You can get with your kids together and watch Inside Out. All right, the next section, the next section um, that I want to talk about from, uh, from one of the weddings of uh, an amazing couple in this church is let God decide. Let God decide. There's power in agreement. And in Matthew 18, 19 to 20, it says, I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Agree on anything, whether it's finances, whether it's kids, whether it's who makes the bed. You know, you got to figure out a place of agreement, and I'm the only one who makes the bed. Not most of the time. She has been better recently. I think she just wants efficiency. She's like, if I leave it unmade, then I can just hop right in any time. It doesn't matter. But I don't know, something, I, I, I need a made bed in the house. Maybe it's because I've been working from home for the past year, and that's my office too. So a messy bed is just too inviting. <laughs> I want to take a nap in the middle of my work day. It makes hard to get work done. But what I want to share with you this is that when you get married, when you come into a covenant relationship, you actually become two sides of the same coin. In Genesis 2.18, it says, Now the Lord God said, It is not good or beneficial for man to be alone. I will make him a helper. One who balances him, a counterpart who is suitable and complementary for him. And in the footnotes there in the Amplified, it says, like his opposite. That, that even though you may be looking different directions, you're actually part of the same coin. And as you work through tough issues like who gets to pick the show or who cleans dishes or who picks up uh, little messes on the floor when you're potty training your 20-month-old, which is me right now. I do that. Um, that you'll always be trying to outserve one another, you know. So it's, it's, it's not about things like that. But when you want to let God decide, it's when you come to a place of disagreement where you've talked it out, maybe you've even prayed it out, and you're just at this place where you can't find the path forward in agreement. So I would say uh, to you, 
don't just move forward anyway, that, that hold off, wait a minute, until you get to that place of agreement, because there is so much power in agreement. Pray, yes. Get wise counsel, yes. But in the end, you've got to let God decide. You've got to let God show you. And so one way I shared in this wedding that you can do that is simply to flip a coin. Flip a coin. And uh, because you are two sides of the same coin, several good things happen. One, you take the problem out of your hands and you put it into God's hands. Two, you get to see the situation, the problem, from somebody else's perspective. When you actually flip a coin, you're not just looking at your side anymore. You're looking at the other side of the coin over and over and over again. So you actually get to see a perspective that is not where you're coming from. You get to look at someone else's perspective. And what happens when you physically flip a coin is that it creates a sphere. The, the coin flipping over and over, it creates a sphere. And that's a place of trust. So what you're doing is you're, you're taking this out of God, your hands and putting it into God's hands. You're creating a place of trust, and you're looking at some, the, the something, the situation, from a perspective that's not your own. And it's not about abdicating responsibility. It's not a flippant thing. Don't do best of three, best of five. When you do this, you say, God, we're giving this to you, and we're trusting that your answer is the right one. And get ready, because when you do that, when you give it up to God, your hand is open, and you're ready to receive And what's going to happen is that God puts the answer back into your hand, right side up. He'll show you the right way. And when you do this in faith, you can trust that the answer you're getting is going to get you to the place you want to go. Because you're in a place of agreement. And in that place, as Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for good. So trust that when the two of you are at uh, odds or can't find a place for them, place forward, and you give it to God, get ready for the right answer, and get ready to implement it. Because when he gives it to you, and you don't do it, and then you go back and pray, he's going to say, I already told you. I already told you what the answer was. And flipping a coin is just one example, but there's so many other ways where you can let God decide. You can pray for, for witnesses. You can pray for the answer to be revealed to you. You can pray for clarity. You can pray for revelation. But this just is one great way where you can come together and find faith and find trust and find the path forward in that relationship. And the last wedding I want to share with you today, what I want to talk about, is one uh, that's very recent. It's all of five days old. And uh, some very close friends of ours got married, and um, their parents are here today. And I shared this, um, this verse and this, this uh, passage of Scripture and some commentary that went along with it because I, I thought it was one of the most amazing things that I ever heard in terms of defining God's love, or at least helping to explain it. And the verse is Song of Songs 1-2, and it says, Kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. And this word love it is uh, actually the word dodeca. And this is the commentary about this word love. Love, dodeca, means that God loves you so much that it can't even be described or contained without breaking out of the language. It means the word love cannot adequately express it. It means that God doesn't just have love for you, but many loves. When you need his mercy, he loves you with a merciful love. When you need his strength, he loves you with an encouraging love. When you've been wounded, he loves you with a tender love. When you need the love of a friend, he loves you as a friend. When you need to be lifted up in his arms, he loves you with the compassion of a loving father. His love for you is many. He loves you today, not with yesterday's love, but with a love for today, a love that is new every morning. Therefore, you must seek not only to know the love of God, but to know the loves of God. 
You can never rest on knowing yesterday's love or the love you have known before. You must seek each day to know the loves he has for you. The new love, the fresh love, the surprising love, the never-ending love. It is that love, his love, that is better, much better than any earthly joy. For his loves are better than wine. How good is that? So what I want to encourage you today, if you're in a marriage, if you're dating, if you're single, um, if you have parents, love each other the way that God loves you. Love each other with this dodeca love. And what you got to understand, what you have to know is that it may seem impossible to do that. It may seem impossible to, how could we love somebody the way that God loves us? How could we love with so many loves? Well, the truth of it is you can't do it on your own. But with God, all things are possible. So when you humble yourself and you'll say, I know that I've made mistakes in my relationship. I know that I'm not the perfect spouse or the perfect partner. But I know that God is. And I know that through him, I can actually love my spouse, my significant other, the way that they need to be loved, the way that God loves them. And then if you both do that, then there's a fullness of love that comes in that can't even be described or explained by words like it says in that passage that it just breaks out of the language. There's a feeling, there's an emotion, there's, there's the words yes as well, but there's so much more to love when we love each other unconditionally, when we love each other with many loves. And to, to close, to wrap this up, the title of this message is Four Weddings and a Resurrection. And so I want to talk about the resurrection piece of it to finish. There's absolutely places and times in marriages where everything falls apart or seems like it's on life support. It seems like you've, um, you've lost all options. And I know personally, I, I've had to, to walk through a divorce. I've had to walk through a breakdown in marriage where um, we just came to a place where we couldn't see the future together. And we couldn't reconcile those differences. And there was a separation that happened that, uh, that was irrecoverable. But I've also seen the flip side of it. In uh, personal situations in our life with our family members, we've seen a marriage on the brink of divorce, and really it looked like it was almost beyond life support. We just didn't know how this was going to happen. We didn't understand how the two parties could reconcile, but we knew that with God, all things are possible. And so I'm going to share with you today, maybe... Maybe you're in a situation where your marriage is on the rocks or you've been facing some real challenges. Maybe you've been, um, you feel like you don't even understand how it can move forward. Or maybe there's somebody in your life who you know is, is walking through a situation like this. And, and what I want to share with you today is that God is the God of resurrection. That it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've walked through, that if you put it into his hands... If you believe that there is a path forward, that your marriage can be redeemed, it can be restored, it can be resurrected. And I think the first thing that, that needs to happen in this situation is that each party, both parties in the marriage or relationship, the first thing that they have to do is they have to reconcile with God. This happened in, in the situation of our family members where we knew that, that it doesn't matter who is at fault anymore. If you want the marriage to be resurrected, you have to put the fault behind you. You have to decide, what did I do? How did I contribute to this situation? But more importantly, 
How can God restore me? Like, what do I need to do to be reconciled to God first? How can I get right with him? Because it's only when each of the parties reconcile with God that they can truly come together and reconcile the marriage. That the first step in bringing resurrection into a broken relationship, a broken marriage, is to get right with God. And it says in uh, Mark eleven twenty five and 26, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Even if a person has wronged you in a a serious way, and this happened in in our family relationship as well, where one party was was unfaithful, had gone out, and um, they made the decision, though, that they were going to reconcile with God and that they were going to forgive each other. And it was not a short journey. It was not an easy journey. But it was a journey that they both decided to take. And when both parties come together and decide that the future is more important than the past, then, then moving ahead is more important than focusing on faults or mistakes, that miracles can happen. And it did happen for them, and it can happen for you. If you find yourself in this situation or you know somebody in this situation, that encourage them that resurrection, that the miraculous is possible with God. All things are possible to those who believe. But you have to believe. You have to reconcile and then you have to believe and then you have to keep moving forward. You have to apply all of those things I talked about, all the advice I have today, all the advice out there in books and in sermons and in messages. You have to start applying it. Use it. Get as much counsel as you can. Use what works for you. Apply these lessons. Apply the things that will help you get to that place of resolution. And sometimes the process breaks down. That's okay. Do it again. Go back to the place of reconciliation. Go back to the place of what do I need to do to get right with God? Then you can move on to forgiveness. Then you can move on to believe. Then you can move on to taking a step closer to full restoration. And I want to share with you today that that marriage situation in our family, they are fully restored. They are fully together, better than their marriage has ever been. And I know that it's with God. And I know if it happened for them, it can happen for you. It can happen for those people you know. And that's why one of the main reasons why I wanted to encourage you today, everybody here today, married or single, to take notes, to engage, to lean in, because I know that I know that I know that each one of us knows somebody who needs restoration in their marriage, who needs help. And like I said at the beginning, that is one of the most important things that we can do as a church, is to see strong marriages flourish in this county and beyond. That throughout our lives, whatever our connections and relationships are, if marriages flourish, then this nation gets better. If marriages flourish, then parents, then the kids raise up with two parents in the house. If marriages flourish, victory is won in this house and in every other house around here. And if you believe that, come on, let's give God a shout right now. That we need to fight for marriages. And, and pretty much every single song that we sung this morning was about victory. That is the path forward, victory in Jesus. So whatever the situation, whatever the disputes, arguments are, there is victory in Jesus. And we need to be the ones who go out and we are the light in our community. We demonstrate what a good marriage is. And we also help people restore those marriages. We help people come back together. We help people fight the good fight. That love and war, this series that we're in, War is not, is not fighting against each other in a relationship. War is you're doing battle together. There's an enemy out there that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He's trying to break down marriages. He's trying to even redefine what a marriage is. So we need to fight against that. We need to war against every single enemy that would come against marriage, every single act of division, everything that would put itself up, raise itself up against what God has, has 
decided, what God has determined, that it's good, it's not good that man should be alone, but that two should come together. And it's in that marriages, in these marriages, in this house, that we're going to move forward, we're going to advance, and we're going to grow. Amen? Amen. So why don't we all stand to our feet? I want to do something as we close. I want to pray over marriages. I want to pray over people who are in relationships. And, uh, and, and right now, if you're next to your spouse, just hold their hand. Take hold of their hand. I want to pray for you. I want to grieve that, uh, that you have received victory in every area of your life. That wherever you see in your marriage... If there's any lack, if there's anything that doesn't line up with the things that I talked about, doesn't line up with the Word of God, then you need to take the time to address those things. You need to take the time to communicate with your spouse. You need to take the time to communicate maybe with somebody who you're thinking about getting married with. You know, just you can. it's okay to ask the question, if we were to get married, what are the things that we want to build our relationship on? What are the pillars that we're going to stand on? What's most important to us? Maybe right now you're, you're thinking about a relationship that you have with your kids. So much of this, so much of this stuff, it's not just for, for married people. It's about relationships too. You know, what are ways that you can effectively communicate with your kids so they receive love? So that they receive love in a way where they know it's unconditional. It's not about whether or not they always do the right thing or say the right thing. But you love them regardless of whether or not they say the wrong thing. You, are, you love them regardless of their faults. That I know as, as a father, I, miss, I make mistakes all the time. I, maybe I discipline in an incorrect way. Maybe I say things in a harsh way. And in fact, even today, I was correcting my son, and he said, uh, why do you have to be so harsh about it? And it just it hit me, and it's true that, that we, need to, we need to display love. We need to share love in a way where the person receiving it even if it's a correction, it doesn't feel harsh. It feels like we love them. So right now, wherever you are, if you're with your spouse, grab their hand, hold on to them, hug them. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these marriages. I thank you for relationships. I thank you for those of the people here who are dating today. I thank you for the parents here today. I thank you for the youth here that, that, are, that want to be a better kid for their parents, that want to help their parents do what's right, that want to see their parents maybe get back together, that want to see marriages and relationships restored. God, right now, I ask that your blessing fall on all of these people here today. And I thank you that, that you'll highlight for us maybe some, some relationships, some marriages of friends, of family that, uh, that we need to share some of this with, that we need to encourage. We need to let them know that with God all things are possible, that miracles can and will happen for those who will reconcile and believe. And if they want to grow, then there's a path to coming back together. There's a path to restoration. There's a path to resurrection. Just like you brought your son, Jesus Christ, up from the dead, you restored his life. I declare right now in Jesus' name that life is restored to marriages, that they will move forward, not back. They will look ahead at the future, bringing resolution to problems, not bringing up past mistakes, not focusing on the faults and the errors. God, I thank you right now that your spirit is poured out onto all these people. So right now, I want you to say a prayer. And I'm not going to put the words in your mouth. I want you to take 30 seconds, a couple minutes, whatever it takes, however long it takes. I'm going to have the ministry team come down to the front. And if you need prayer in a specific area, whether you're married or not, single, whether you're a kid, if you know that there's relationships that you want to pray for, the ministry team is going to be here to pray with you. But I want you to ask God, how can I do better in my relationships? What do I need to change? How can I improve? How can I get better? What is the path forward for me?
And right now, I want you to release forgiveness to anybody who's wronged you, especially if there's a situation in your marriage right now where you're harboring bitterness or unforgiveness because of something that was said or done. I want you to release that right now. I want you to to hold their hand. I want you to hug them. I want you to look them in their eyes. Do whatever you have to do, but release it right now. Release it to God first in your heart, and then take the time. Take the time. We don't have to run out of here. We own this property. You can stay as long as you want. Take the time. Release it to God, and then release it to each other. Let them know that... that, I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for my mistakes. I'm sorry for the things that I said that I shouldn't have said. I I wish I had taken some time to go and ask God what I should have said. I'm going to try to do that moving forward. Ask God to show you how, how the other person sees you when you're in a heated discussion, an argument. Ask God to show you what, what the other person sees in your face when, when you're speaking those things, when you're saying things that maybe you should have waited for, you should have exercised patience or humility for. Ask God to show you the hurts that have been there, and then ask God to restore them. Once you've asked God to restore it, then ask the other person to restore it. I want this to be, more than anything else, a place where we move forward in our relationships, where we move past blockages. We move past hurts because the truth is there's so many hurting and broken people out there that need our example. They need the example of the church to to be what marriages are. You've all heard the stats that there's just as many divorces in the church as there are out of the church. But another stat that shows, it's proven, that that in a marriage relationship, couples that pray together have have a less than 0.01%, I believe, rate of divorce. Less than 0.01% divorce rate for those who pray together. More than anything else, as a married couple, you need to pray together. You need to pray, pray, pray. Pray over yourself. Pray over your kids. Pray over your finances. Pray over every aspect, every single pillar of marriage. You need to pray into that. Because if it does get knocked down from time to time, you got to be able to rebuild it. And the fastest way to rebuild it is in prayer. Somebody say amen. Amen. We love you all. Take this moment right now. Talk to God. Talk to each other. Come down to the front. Pray with the ministry team if you need to. We love you. God bless you. Have a great marriage. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.